0: I was quite surprised when I had a look with the ultrasound probe, I could see that there were B-lines and she obviously had um, pulmonary edema. And then I had a look with the echo probe, just the parasternal view, which um, I could see that the base of her left ventricle wasn't contracting properly and that really jumped out at me um, as being very unusual. Her mind- Welcome to episode 59 of the Ops and Gynae Care Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Obs and Crick Care podcast. Today it's Graham Johnson in the um, the chair in the studio with Dr. Roger Browning.
0: Thanks, Graham. And uh, we're back again. We're actually recording on some new equipment, thanks to um, Trilby who who's um, set us up with some um, some great audio uh, equipment. The first time we recorded this podcast, we didn't know what we were doing, so this is our second run. Um, what's the topic of discussion today, Graham?
1: Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, an interesting topic, takutsubo, cardiomyopathy.
0: I thought we'd introduce the um, discussion by perhaps um, briefly talking about a case that we were involved with, weren't we, Graham? And this this woman was actually um, uh, I approached her, uh, and she agreed to you know let us use her anonymous details in educational uh, context. And we've I think we've presented her at a department meeting before. So, um, do you want to tell uh, the listeners the first part of the story, Graham?
1: Yeah. So it was a very interesting uh, case of a woman, uh, young, um, having a caesarean section for a twin pregnancy at 36 weeks gestation. She um, was nulliparous prior to the section. She had a history of anxiety and depression, was treated with a selective serotonergic reuptake inhibitor drug and uh, was quite anxious at the time of her block being placed prior to the caesarean section she uh, subsequently um, developed uterine atony which is not an uncommon thing for multiple pregnancies and was treated with our usual uh, oxytocic medications however um at the request of the obstetrician with uh poor uterine tone she was administered some intravenous ergometrine 250 micrograms which was diluted and administered slowly uh, and subsequently developed raised blood pressure in recovery requiring uh, treatment and actually um, investigations and workup for uh, the possibility that she was developing preeclampsia in the postpartum period and uh, her um Continued in a um, in a high dependency unit setting because of her uh, postpartum hemorrhage associated with the uterine
0: actually acne. Um, I think she went to the ward because I was the DA the next day and um, I was informed um, that overnight a, a woman up on the ward had developed low oxygen saturations and so they'd brought her down to the ASCU to give her oxygen and keep an eye on her. Uh, so I think uh, she mu- her blood pressure must have settled, if, it, if my memory serves me right.
1: You, you probably are right.
0: Uh, and I think, so this was the next day when I was the DA. Uh, I just remember in my mind uh, when we did the ward round, which was really busy because it was a changeover, that um, the handover was that she. That everyone thought she had eight from her caesarean, and that's why she was needing oxygen. I think your oxygen had fallen to like 80, 87% on room air or something like that, um, which... Uh, when I heard that she'd only had a spinal and she was an elective caesarean I thought that just didn't sound right so I made a little mental note to come back and look at her later on in the morning when it calmed down uh, and when I came back she she didn't look really short of breath she was a little bit dysneic um, and at the time I remember I, I was doing echo school and things with you Graham and I just thought I'll have a quick look at her lungs because uh, that was something that I was interested in and I was quite surprised when I had a look with the ultrasound probe I could see that there were B lines and she obviously had... Um, pulmonary edema and then I had a look with the echo probe just the parasternal view which um, I could see that the base of her left ventricle wasn't contracting properly and that really jumped out at me um, as being very unusual her mitral valve wasn't flicking open properly and there was uh, very little contraction evident in the the septum at that level Uh, I don't think I could see her apex because it was um, wasn't good enough to get a view but
1: you, you can't always see it, can you? No, that's
0: right. And sometimes yeah. it's a bit tricky. <coughs> anyway, and so even with that limited information, I was um, worried. And uh, I talked to the obstetric team and, and uh, I think the physicians, and we organised some um, ECGs and we did some BNPs and troponins, and they were up as well. Um, so then we we realised there was something going on with the heart, and we got her transferred across to the cardiologist. Uh, and her formal echo confirmed sort of my um, our suspicions and that she had a... Um, regional wall motion abnormalities, uh, mainly at the inf- basal region, and um, they thought at the time that it was likely a sort of Takotsubo variant or possibly a peripartum cardiomyopathy, but they said that we'd have to wait a couple of weeks to see whether it got better or worse and, and how it resolved, but uh, in the end, the, dis- the um, I think the, the general consensus was it was probably a Takotsubo variant.
1: Mm-hmm interesting she, case. She didn't have um, coronary angiography, did she?
0: No, so no. the cardiologist decided not to do a coronary angiogram, th- thought that it wasn't consistent with any known anatomical territory of a, of a vessel um, and then I know she did come back two weeks later for another procedure some retained products something like that and she'd had a repeat echo just before that and everything had pretty much resolved so uh, it was felt at that time that it was highly likely that it wasn't a peripartum myopathy because that's doesn't usually get better like that. Mm. I think it's usually they are usually more global in nature too. Not um, we can probably talk about that a bit later. So that was an interesting one. I've had another couple of patients that I've sort of crossed paths with during the, my career who have had Takatsubo as well. Have you had any others? Grant?
1: Um, oh, look, I've cared for a number of patients who've had Takatsubo, not while they're acutely unwell. I think in a in a hospital that has a um, you know, reasonable load of uh, gynecology patients and. Uh, it, it's a condition that does occur in older women yep. um, that, uh, yeah, w- we see patients from time to time who yeah. had the had the problem.
0: Yeah, I had a patient uh, many years ago as well who had a p- uh, PPH and um, lots of psychological problems and she ended up developing acute pulmonary edema and needed to be ventilated and taken over to uh, uh, the ICU at the nearby hospital and I thought she'd had a big PE or something because she really had tanked and gone downhill quite quite fast. Um, and I remember hearing uh, the next day that she had Takotsubo and also had a patient at um, another hospital I was working at a general hospital a male patient who had acute appendicitis and then had uh, ST segment elevation and chest pain and everyone thought he was having an MI but when he got to the cath lab and they they injected dye in his coronaries they were completely clean mm. and uh, they realised that he had, and he had ballooning of his a, um, apex people. So that's, that's a classic sort of uh, way of it being diagnosed people suspect it's in it, suspect an MI and discover it's not.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's an interesting um, disease. I hadn't heard of it until late in the uh, year 2000s. I remember a colleague coming up and saying, oh, I've just seen a patient with broken heart syndrome, with Takotsubo yep. syndrome. Yeah.
0: So we should probably, um, maybe we should talk about the history. Do you want to talk about the history and the nomencl- yeah, nomenclature? Because yeah. we've started, we've already used a few of those names. Mm.
1: So my understanding is it was first described in the early 1990s in Japan. Yep. Uh and the nomenclature takotsubo reflects the fact that the heart uh, in the classical presentation uh, resembles the uh, uh, pot that's used for catching squid. Yeah, which o- is called octopus or squid now. Octopus oh, or yeah. squid.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. the same shape as with the ballooning apex that you see with an angiogram yes. uh, of the left ventricle, I think. Yes. I'll try and put a, um, I'll try and paste a copy of the picture of, of that shape on the... Um, the web page that uh, links to this yep. and what are some of the other names we talked about broken heart syndrome broken heart why syndrome why is it called broken heart syndrome
1: because it often occurs in patients who have uh, s- stress yeah. associated with personal loss for example yeah
0: so i think some of the original case reports were like um, widows whose husbands had recently died and or, or some other really stressful death of a relative um hmm. uh, Um, But obviously we'll talk about it a bit later. There's lots of other triggers now.
1: Yeah, and there's a few other names for the condition. Uh, Catecholamine, nergic-induced cardiomyopathy. Yep. uh,
0: There was another one too, left ventricle apical ballooning ballooning syndrome. syndrome. Um, When I was at medical school, we mentioned, we were talking about this before, there was a, I remember... uh, reading about this syndrome of cardiomyopathy that often occurred with um, subarachnoid hemorrhages, this, which is probably this, you know more part of the same thing now yeah, and recognised yeah. to be part of this broader spectrum of disease.
1: Like a sympathetic um, yeah, pho- response? Yeah, pheochromosotoma-related
0: or... cardiomyopathy. Yes. Um, all of these are probably all similar, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And I think um, even hopefully I'm getting this right because I'm not an expert, but um, that even uh, some of the cardiomyopathies develop in patients in ICU who are on lots of um, noradrenaline and adrenaline for other reasons like sepsis, they can sometimes develop a cardiomyopathy and that might be um, related a related condition with yeah. the catecholamines are affecting the heart.
1: Yeah, it's thought also to be um, a possible um, outcome in uh, management of conditions like um, acute anaphylaxis where IV catecholamines are administered.
0: Yep. Mm. So... Um, So that's good. We've talked about the epidemiology, another nomenclature, and we've touched on the epidemiology. Um, Do you want to? What are the basics that that we sort of? So
1: so it is more common in women than men. Yep. uh, And uh, often older women.
0: Yep. Those are the two biggest things. So we're uh, reading the recent literature. Those are the two biggest. Standouts, but it actually it, can occur at any age. So there's case reports in children and plenty of cases in men. Yes, um, it
1: seems to affect men more following um, physical or painful type stimuli, yep. as opposed to in in women, it, it can be more associated with psychological type
0: stressors, triggers. Stress
1: triggers. Yeah, yes, but obviously
0: there is still um, crossover into other. Mm. other areas and we were I think we were going to talk about triggers separately but I can't stop myself uh, so there's this uh, syndrome called happy heart syndrome isn't there yes there is where well, there's case reports of people you know developing Takasubo and end up in the CCU because they were, because they won the lottery or um, yeah. there was another one where someone had a surprise birthday party and it was so emotionally um, uh, overwhelming that they got this found their experience heart. at the opera <laughs> yeah that's right that <laughs> one One where someone had a very (laughs) enjoyable experience at the opera. (laughs) Um, So what are the classic signs and symptoms? Yeah,
1: so they um, classically present as uh, acute myocardial infarction. Yeah, that's right. With uh, chest pain. Yep. Shortness of breath. Yep. uh, With ECG changes, with ST segment elevation. Yeah, that's right. Widespread on an ECG.
0: So it can look exactly like an MI, can't it? Mm -hmm. Um, And then... um, with also like, like that raised
1: troponins or, um, oh, sorry, cardiac enzyme
0: yeah. levels. And, but then, um, you know, you do an angiogram and there's nothing wrong with the coronary arteries and there's no plaque or rupture, there's no blockage. Um, so that's really interesting. But sometimes they can just present with some of those features or just, you know, signs of a cardiomyopathy because it is a cardiomyopathy. So and yes. that's usually like shortness of breath or um, um, I guess even like hypotension and poor perfusion if mm. it's really bad. So it can be a bit of a conundrum, a diagnostic conundrum. Um, but I guess <coughs> we just sort of mentioned what's the, so the diagnostic criteria are basically no, normal coronaries, yeah, normal coronaries, abnormalities in uh, an acute event,
1: in an acute event, Yep. Ab- abnormalities in
0: um, so so uh, regional wall motion, but yeah, regional wall motion abnormalities, yeah, so, exactly. the, heart, so the left ventricle is not pumping. I think there was some people. Have I'm not sure there's some disagreement, but they've uh, talked about whether the right ventricle can be affected as well. I think that's not a big thing, but th- th- it's possible that um, there may be some variants involved that. Um, but yeah, that's a classic criteria. So the, the usual sort of uh, investigations would involve what sort of things? We've already mentioned all the sort of spo- yeah, so standard things like ECGs and soft so coronary
1: angiogram, left ventricular gram.
0: Yeah. Um, Echo, well, e- 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 Echo is obviously the one Grand. that picks it up first, but then most of the time they undergo some more in-depth investigation, don't they? Mm-hmm. um I mean, I th- other other
1: investigations like myocardial perfusion studies, the nuclear med scans.
0: Yeah, I think um, so. Cardiologists obviously want to know all about that sort of stuff. About um, maybe using the, some of those more um, advanced or um, specific tests to to tease out different things. So obviously. I guess if, for us, for those of us who aren't cardiologists, we should really just be aware of the condition and what sort of things to look out for, and um, just have it as part of our differential in the back of our mind because it is still pretty rare, but um, it does pop up every now and then, doesn't it? It does. Like, like any cardiomyopathy in pregnancy, exactly. I've seen. I have seen another woman uh, years ago who who presented with um, high hypoxia, um, and she had a peripartum cardiomyopathy, but she just she had no other symptoms except she was like hypoxic and needing oxygen, hmm. and. Um, I think, uh, she, yeah, twins as well. And we all thought she'd had a PE. And then, of course, um, you know, we kept in the back of her mind. Well, actually, you know, how about the heart? And surprise, surprise, it was the heart. Um, so I think we've talked about um, a lot of this stuff. So there are some subtypes, aren't there? Well, should we do some yeah, jokes?
1: Well, 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 there's definitely some subtypes, but it's an obs and um, podcast, so uh, I've got to remember my joke.
0: <laughs> okay, I'll do my one. So um, did you know my grandfather has the heart of a lion? And a lifetime ban from the Perth Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> you laughed at the first time. I did,
1: <laughs> I did. You know, they say, um, we, you know, women complain when they're pregnant for nine months. Yeah. 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 That's, it's maternity.
0: <laughs> is that the question? Is that the joke? <laughs> okay. Let's talk about that. Um, it's like
1: it didn't come out right.
0: <laughs> it didn't come out right, yeah. That's another, is that another obstetric pun? Mm. Um. Subtypes. Um, so the classic one is it just affects the apex, so the left apical ballooning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more and more over, over time as it's been um, studied over the and with obviously easier access to echoes and, and uh, investigations, I think there's been a greater recognition that it can affect the other parts of the ventricle as well. Not as commonly, but things like the inferior region or the… The base. Base, the mid… Mm. Midventricular ventricular zone, I think, I'm not sure if that's the right term, um, but basically other parts of the heart, of the ventricle. Um, is it pretty benign? So our patient, you know, it was all better in two I weeks. I
1: thought it was benign, but uh, I've just been reading these um, documents. It's an international expert consensus document, yep. and uh, just in preparation, and it seems that uh, about 20% of patients uh, do have, um, you know, potentially life-threatening deterioration. Yeah, so serious
0: complications from it.
1: Yeah, yeah, heart failure, arrhythmias, uh, venous rem- or thromboembolism, yep. uh, ventricular rupture potentially, cardiogenic shock.
0: Yeah, so actually, it's not completely benign. So there's big registries around the world now, and they've been looking at them, um, you know, large numbers, and up to 20% of them uh, have some serious things go wrong. You know, like going to Bf or have um, heart failure and that sort of thing. So definitely in the acute phase, these people need to be in a very uh, highly monitored acute setting like a CCU or an ICU. Hmm. Uh, it's not something to um, to go, oh, it should get better once the trigger's gone, because uh, they need some close monitoring. And the longer term prognosis is not as benign as they thought as well, because I think there used to be this thought that if they recover, it's pretty good long term, but there seems to be a, a recurrence rate in... Um, uh, the long-term uh, mortality is similar to people who have an acute coronary syndrome. So that's people worry. It's probably it's m- not quite as benign as we thought. Mm. <coughs> well, hopefully, I, I guess, um, if you're a young, healthy patient with no other disease, you might be slightly different to someone who's, say, an elderly woman in their 70s uh, or something like that. I don't know. So I guess it's probably a, um, some specifics where you can sort of try and you know tease out the different prognosis for different and, and patients.
1: And postpartum, there is... Um, you know, that change in terms of uh, fluid expansion um, and uh, return to normal uh, or non-pregnant normal um, heart chamber dimensions. Yep. I mean, the one thing we do notice when we do echocardiogram on pregnant women is just how big the chambers appear.
0: Yeah, that's right. <coughs> They're definitely right at the top of the Starling curve and, uh, you know, with the extra plasma and r- volume and red cell mass and... The heart's going, working a lot harder because it's, you know, perfusing a, a baby as well as the mother. Yes. Um What about the treatment? This is interesting. So um, what's the classic treatment of of um, someone with Takotsubo?
1: Yeah, so um, I don't know if we should talk about what we think causes
0: Takotsubo. Yeah, we should. Definitely. There's a whole bunch of theories. You're right. How did we miss that? I don't know. I think, this we, I think we did a few bad jokes and got... <laughs> terrible, <laughs> <we> terrible jokes. <laughs> we went off our... We lost our game, didn't we? We've yeah. done predisposition and risk phase. You're right, Pathophysiology. So we've been, talk- we've been skipping around it. We should definitely talk about Yeah. You know, so there what, are a number, of, th- the, the number theories of theories.
1: Are. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, uh, I had it fixed in my head that it was uh, react- uh, It was absolutely associated with uh, beat adrenergic receptor um, s- s- swapping from um, in, you know, a stimulatory to an inhibitory type um, pattern of muscle control Yeah. However, I understand there's a lot of other theories including changes in microcirculation.
0: Yeah, so no one 100% knows. I mean, it's definitely related to the sympathetic nervous system and catecholamines. Mm. but then how that actually, you know, what happens from there, how does that turn into the heart, areas of the heart not actually contracting? Um, Yeah, one of them is that the microcirculation, so the really small blood vessels in the heart, not the big coronaries, obviously, which are normal on the angiogram, but the, the tiny ones that are... Um, uh, down at the microcircular level getting spasm and so causing sort of acute hypoxia at the tissue level. Uh, There's the one that you were describing, Graham, where they think that um, over some form of activation of those adrenergic beta receptors causing, uh, triggering something intracellularly where the the myocyte decides to sort of hibernate and not work. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's... I'm trying to remember what I was reading a few... um, when I was reading through this review paper about, you know, maybe it's a hibernation type sort of protective protective mechanism, mechanism that um, that the my uh, the myocytes use to try and protect themselves when they're getting flooded with catecholamines. Um, and then there were some other theories as well, um, toxic, you know, actually causing toxicity. Toxic. Uh, uh, so it's not just a hibernation thing, but you know, whatever it is, it's definitely related to sympathetic overstimulation of the or sensitivity of the. Cardiac myocytes to sympathetic yep. stimulation,
1: which which kind of leads into the treatment, which yeah, um, right. you know classically, it's treated with beta blockers. Yep, and or ACE inhibitors. Yeah, that's right. Um, however, however, that's quite tricky to do in patients who are um, who have heart failure, for example.
0: Yeah, so I guess if they have, um, um yeah, get rid of the trigger. But I guess if they have um, good cardiac output and they're not in shock then using both of those agents is fine yeah. I think that's what I've noticed that people have, have used according to this um, consensus paper I was reading uh, um, even though most people get given a toprolor or a beta, lock, beta blocker there's not much evidence for them um, I think the ACE inhibitors uh, are used fairly routinely what about that sort of subset of patients who are super sick who are in sort of cardiogenic shock what, n- normally when someone's got cardiogenic shock you know uh, what are the traditional treatments if you ended so up so often
1: it's uh, beta agonists
0: yeah so usually you try and give people in- inotropes don't you but, exactly. but, that's, but actually that's a really a tricky scenario in a patient like this because giving them noradrenaline and adrenaline or dobutamine mm. is um, like giving them the same thing that caused it in the first place so um, that's actually a really hard syndrome to fix for their poor intensive care colleagues mm. so usually they try some other tricks don't they
1: some fancy medications.
0: Yeah, well there are some other inotropic medications that aren't caracolamines and I guess they try and use maybe um, not, uh, mechanical circulatory support. Uh, balloon pumps. Uh, balloon pumps, ECMO. Um, yep. I don't know, you have to talk to them, but I'm guessing that's the sort of things they think about. I know, uh, you know, uh, I don't know well, this is really stepping outside my area, but um, I know there are you know, lever cement and even insulin is used as yes. inotrope sometimes. Yes, yes, yes. Some of those other drugs, I don't know if they'd use that. But I guess you'd have to be in a pretty tricky spot. Hmm. Um, Patients often get anticoagulated. Yeah, that's right. Actually, so that's probably stepping back a bit. Yeah, because they do worry about thrombus. You know, if you've got a the apex of your heart's not contracting, there's um, stagnant blood in there, and that can thrombose, and then you can throw off a clot, um, which give you a stroke or um, uh, some other form of um, infarct somewhere in your body. Classic, when you use your, the classic ones are strokes and um, your gut, isn't
1: it? Yes. Yep.
0: Crikey, I think my, oh this, is, no, this this joke doesn't work, you have to be a female to say it. Right. I think my cardiologist fancies me, he said I had acute angina, But up a boom, hang on actually, nice. I've got some drums here so i will try it out, <coughs> no nah, wrong one, boom, better.
1: Very good, <laughs> hey, Roger do you know when a uh, joke becomes a dad joke?
0: Yeah I do, yeah. But tell me anyway.
1: When it becomes apparent.
0: <laughs> parent, Apparent. <laughs> yeah, all right, we're going to wind it up there. Um, we're going, and well, we're definitely going to have to learn how to use these uh, sound effects, Drillby. Thanks for, thanks for all your coaching. Uh, is there anything p- more we need to speak about? I don't think so. Well, oh. uh, probably is, but um, if anyone else has got any comments, um, feel free to send them in. And uh, I am feeling a bit lonely. We don't get many comments on the on the podcast, but um, I don't know what you think, Graham. But I'd like actually, uh, if anyone could. Um, Post uh, some ideas for episodes that you'd like to um, hear us talk about, and we'll see if we can find someone who knows something about it, or we could just do what we normally do, which is we don't know anything about it at all, and we just like <laughs> read an article and then just try and talk about it. But which I find is quite educational for me, more even if the listeners aren't listening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll send us some good jokes,
0: yeah, that's right. These jokes are terrible, they're killing me. All right, <laughs> thanks again for being a good sport, Graham. And thank you. I'll see you next time. Yep,
1: thank you.